Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perjury is, and should be, a serious crime. Truth is a necessary foundation for a properly functioning society. Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the series, The Ten Commandments, with this sermon entitled, You Shall Not Bear False Witness, which covers Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. I'm going to ask you to do something that we don't normally do, but for the reading of the word and for the prayer of illumination, I'm going to ask you to stand. Sometimes I do this just as a reminder uh, that God's word is holy and inerrant and infallible in the original manuscripts, and it is profitable for us for teaching, for righteousness, for training in righteousness, for rebuke, all the things that the scriptures tell us. And so our scripture reading is very short as we're nearing the end of this uh, sermon series that we've been doing in the Ten Commandments. We're on the Ninth Commandment, and it reads like this. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So let's ask the Lord through praying aloud together our prayer of illumination to bless his word. Father, in the wilderness of our hearts, prepare the way of the Lord. Through your word and by your spirit, bring life to our barren souls. Lift up every valley, lay low every mountain, and reveal your glory in Christ, that we may see it together as your people. In Christ's name, amen and amen. You may be seated. As I mentioned, we're in the second to last week of this series through the Ten Commandments. And uh, the one this week, as you just heard, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. As we dig into it, you'll see that that's, that's really, in a sense, lying. You shall not lie, but there are some discrepancies with it and some specific parts to it that we'll get into of what all is in, encapsulated in that and what, what might that look like. But in weeks previous, uh, I have talked about how uh, as we approach some of these commandments in the second table of the law, the second half of the Ten Commandments that are all dealing with neighbor primarily. Uh, how do we engage with the Lord vertically? Those are the first, that's the first table of the law, primarily the first four commandments. And then from there, the Lord turns his attention to those who know him, those who have been redeemed and transformed by him inwardly through the Holy Spirit, then begin to live in a different way uh, horizontally with neighbor. And as we approached some of those, it was, it was one of those where it was very tempting to think, well, I'm okay with this one. We get to murder and we say, well, I haven't murdered anyone. Let's move to the next one. And we understood as we dug in, it's way more than the outward um, action of murder, but the inward reality of anger. And then we get to adultery and we say, okay, well, for some of us that has happened, but for many of us, we might be tempted as well to say, well, I haven't committed adultery, so let's just move on. And then you dig in and you realize it's not the act of adultery, although that's encompassed in it, but it's lust in the heart. And then you get to stealing and you go, okay, finally a commandment for someone else, not for me. And you realize it's not just the outward action of stealing, right? But it's this inward reality of taking people, uh, taking from people what is rightfully theirs in the way of dignity and reputation and so on and so forth. And so it's not just that I haven't stolen perhaps, it's that I'm not, I don't have a heart of generosity and giving. Now with this one that we're getting into this week, 
I don't know that there's really any of us that would say, I can move on from this one. I don't lie. Because if we're honest, we all lie. Now, we may not be habitual liars, we may not be pathological liars, but we know how to tell a a little lie here and there. We know how to exaggerate here and there. We know how to embellish here and there. It's interesting, um, I did just a quick Google search just about any, I was curious, are there any studies that have been done on lying and so forth? And uh, some things came up fairly quickly and I was most intrigued by a recent study that had been done by the University of Massachusetts. And um, this is what they said, about 60% of people, this is of people 18 and older, are incapable, according to this survey, incapable of having a conversation without lying at least once every 10 minutes. Wow. Uh, On average, three lies are told by adults every 10 minutes. Children typically tell their first lie between ages two and three, and children can lie convincingly by the age of four. If If you're raising kids currently or if you have raised kids, That doesn't surprise you. When someone meets someone for the first time, a person will lie to them twice or three times within 10 minutes on average. So some concluding statistics from this study. In one day, the average person lies four times, which I think is being generous when they just said that the average person lies three times in 10 minutes, but anyway. The average person lies four times, totaling at minimum 1,460 lies a year. Men, I have bad news. Men lie about six times a day. Women lie three times a day on average. Interesting stuff, right? Now, I didn't dig into how did they get that data Uh, You know, I didn't get into the nuances of the study and was it just simply through anonymous questionnaires and so forth? I don't know. But I tell you what, I believe it. (laughs) If you've interacted with other people, but more importantly, if you look into your own heart, I I don't think there's very many parts of what I just read to you that would shock you. Because we are a people who in our nature And this has been a huge part of this series is understanding uh, apart from Jesus, apart from God doing his renewing work in our hearts, who are we? Well, we are a people that within our nature, we are are prone to lie. And and let's just be honest. Let's just be real. Let's just be very blunt. We're not just prone to lie. We're liars. And some of us love to lie. Some of us have gotten into such a habit of lying, we have a hard time differentiating between what is true and what's a lie. Some of us have told a story so many times that began as an untruth that we now have told it so many times that way, we think, we actually think it is true the way that we're telling it. Some of us know that we're living a lie. We know that Either what we're saying or what we're living is just simply not true. Arthur W. Pink, one of my favorite guys I've read over the years, um, biblical commentator and writer and author, he says this, rightly has it been said, 
There is no word of the Decalogue, that's just the Ten Commandments, more often and more unconsciously broken than this Ninth Commandment. And men, mankind, need perpetually and persistently to pray. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Now, you might remember last week, and this is true of each of, the, each of these uh, neighborly facing commandments. I, I said this about stealing in particular last week. Stealing isn't wrong just simply because God says it's wrong. Now, that would be enough. God is God. He makes the rules, as it were. And if, and if it were just simply, well, God says it's wrong, then that would be enough for us to listen and adhere and obey what he says is wrong. But it's always more, uh, more significant than that and more meaningful than that. Because it's, all these commandments are getting back to the essence of God. And, and you might remember last week with stealing. Stealing isn't wrong just because God says it's wrong. Stealing is wrong because it is, in, it is a direct antithesis. It's the complete opposite of the heart of God. And what is the heart of God? The heart of God is to give. Right, so the opposite of stealing isn't to not steal, the opposite of stealing is to give. To be like God in generosity, in that disposition of generosity. Well, let's apply the same reasoning to this week. Lying isn't wrong just because God says it's wrong, although that would be sufficient. Lying is wrong because it's a direct antithesis, it's the direct opposite, not of the heart of God, although that's true, but of the character of God. The heart of God is to give, the character of God, the essence of God, the person of God is truth. It's truth. Hebrews tells us in chapter six, verse 18, that it's impossible for God to lie. Listen, it's in the context, by the way, I'm gonna read these couple of verses here in Hebrews. This is in the, in the context of speaking about the character of God. Listen to this, it says, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. He spoke it, he spoke truth, so that two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. It's a lot of, that's pretty wordy verses there talking about God making an oath and a promise based on his character. He cannot lie. What's the point? The point is we can trust anything God says and anything God does because God in his character cannot lie. It's not that he chooses not to lie. It's that he can't lie is pure and perfect and holy and set apart and other than we in our nature, he in his nature and in his character is fundamentally, foundationally, he is true. And so therefore he cannot lie. So ultimately what can we say? We can say this, lying mocks the character of God. As a Christian, those who have been redeemed by this God, made new by this God, indwelt by this God, empowered by this God, our lying mocks his character. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna just take four points this morning and walk through, starting kind of think of it as a funnel. 
as, as a funnel. At the top, we're going to start broadly, some things that God says in his word about our mouths. Then we're going to move to what is lying, and then we'll get down into bearing actual, the, the literal phrase, bearing false witness, and then we'll end with, so what's the hope? Because I tell you, I'm just going to go ahead and give you a warning. You're going to get about three-fourths of the way through this sermon and go, man, this is hopeless. <laughs> I, I just, I, is there any hope? for me and for us to not be this way with our mouths. So let's start broadly. Here's the first point. An unbridled tongue can destroy lives, others and our own. Let's just consider a few, just a few. There's a lot, there's so many. There's gonna be a lot of scripture in this one and 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 a fair number of quotes as well. And I could have chosen many, many more, but for the sake of time, just had to keep it short. But there's just a few that we can consider here about unbridled tongues and just the nature of our tongues in general. James 1, 26 says it very clearly and bluntly. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Wow. James 3, 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And then he throws this in, and set on fire by hell. Wow, okay, we'll talk, we'll get into this a little bit in just a few minutes about that, but he's essentially saying this, that, that when we lie, when our tongues are unbridled, and it may not be lying per se, but just even in the ways in which we say things that are detrimental to others, destructive of others, that that's not from heaven, that's from hell. It's not from God, it's from the enemy. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You know, um, this sermon is probably going to be a little harder at some level for people like me who are verbal processors and who like to talk, who are not slow to speak and quick to listen. Far too often in my life, I know it's true that I love the power of the tongue such that I eat its fruit, where I've said things that have gotten me into a pickle with someone else or where I've said something and it's come out wrong and I've hurt someone or maybe it's come out right and I've hurt someone. The bottom line is maybe you identify and at some level it's all of us, we we have a problem. We have a problem with our tongues. The power of life and death is in the tongue. Alistair Begg said, said it this way, a scorpion has all its venom in its tail Human beings have all their venom in their tongue. One of the greatest lies, ironically, one of the greatest lies that the world has ever told and that we believe is the the old saying that sticks and stones may break, break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is just simply untrue. And if you've lived long enough, you know that's untrue. Because sometimes the most hurtful thing is words things that have been said to you or about you that have absolutely destroyed you. 
cut your feet right out from under you, sunk your heart so deep into your chest you never thought you would recover. Bag goes on to say this, one wrong word may spoil a character, smear a reputation, and mar the usefulness of a life. Part of what it means to love our neighbor then is that we are absolutely truthful in what we say to and about them. Absolutely truthful in what we say. Because remember what Proverbs 18 said, death, not just death, and life is in the power of the tongue. So words can either totally destroy someone or they can give them life. They can build them up in such a way that they actually believe things about themselves that are true, but they struggle to believe that they're true. You know, I, I think that one of, the, one of the easy applications of this is is our children at school, parents, man, this is a hard one, especially once your children get into middle school and, and high school, but middle school may be the, uh, the greatest little season of life where kids are just ruthless and say the most hurtful things. And you as a parent or as a grandparent, you see what it does to your child or grandchild. You see uh, the devastation that is reaped within their hearts when they are told something or something is said to them or about them and it just, it just kills them. It's so very hard and it's one of, the, one of the first very, very difficult realities of life that we learn is how mean and cruel other people can be with their tongues. We know, we know that the, the suicide rate is the highest it's ever been on record since we've been tracking it with kids ages 12 to 18, even up to ages 25. And one of the factors of that, one of the primary factors of that is both what is being said to kids, to young ones, verbally to their face, behind their back, but here's the big one, in the comment sections or in the direct messages of their social media. where teenagers are just destroying one another with words, with their tongues. But let me be real with you, let me be honest with you. There was, a, um, there was an old commercial that you might remember from the 80s. And all the commercial was, was the, the camera was fixated on a, on a kid and uh, he had some type of drug paraf paraphernalia his dad walks in and he says, where did you learn this? Where did you learn this? Do you remember the kid's response? Very dramatic. I learned it from watching you, dad. I learned it from watching you. I don't think it's a far stretch to think that many of our kids have seen how the adults in their lives interact with one another, particularly online and then therefore conclude, it's okay for me to do the same. Somehow we've convinced ourselves that the typed word, since my tongue is not moving, is somehow not the same. It's all the same. We have a, we have a problem 
And we have to own that problem. We can't get help for that problem until we admit that we have a problem. And so just some simple application questions from this first point. In what ways has your tongue been unbridled? And who do you need to go to? Who do you need to go to and ask for forgiveness? And say, I'm so sorry that I said that, that I typed that. To you or about you? I think one of the greatest witnesses, let me just speak specifically to our youth, to our middle school and high school students. I think one of the greatest witnesses that you can have among your generation is how you conduct yourself in this manner. One of the greatest witnesses to the transforming work of Christ is what you do and say with your tongue. Through your fingers on a, on a keyboard or on a phone and then what you literally say. If this one area of your life, of course there's holistic transformation that Jesus does, but if this one area is visibly different, you will make a world of difference in terms of your witness for Christ. A world of difference. And what would it look like for you? Adults listen and you apply it to your life too, but I'm thinking about our teenagers. What would it look like for you to be so counterculturally different that you actually begin to go to people at your school and in your life and you say, I'm so sorry I said that, would you forgive me? They wouldn't know what to do with that. But what if we led the, what if God's people at that age led in that way? It would be, it would be so very countercultural and so very impactful. Second point, God makes clear his disdain for lying in general. So we've been talking about the tongue, the problem that we have there, but then let's just talk about lying. Just generality, uh, generally speaking, listen to what he says, a few verses here, Psalm 12, 3, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips, we'll talk about it in just a moment, how flattery is the same as lying, uh, the tongue that makes great boasts. Im implication, the tongue that makes great boasts that aren't true, just to build up a reputation or to self-promote or whatever it may be. Pro Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Isn't it funny, the juxtaposition there? Lying lips and act faithfully, connecting our tongue and what we say to our conduct and what we do. Because those are tied together, they can't be separated. Proverbs 19, 9, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. Doesn't mean you can, because if you lie, you can lose your salvation. If you're already a follower of Jesus, it just means that uh, lies bring death to those that you speak them to and, and to your own heart. Matthew 12, 36, this is the words of Jesus. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. That is terrifying, <laughs> is it not? God is gonna hold us accountable for every word that comes out of our mouth. If there was ever at any point 
ever at any point that we could somehow, like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, begin to convince ourselves that we have, that we have perfectly kept the law somehow, and it would have to be at only the most uh, surface of applications, as we've already realized, because really what's being dug out of us is the heart realities here. But if for somehow you got through the first eight commandments and were uh, deceived enough to think that I've kept the law, there, there would just be no way, no way that we'd get to this ninth one and go, yeah, I've got that. we would fail miserably in that litmus test. And and listen, there's just no way as a Christian, there's no way as a Christian that we can be indifferent, as God's people, that we can be indifferent towards a lifestyle of lying. We can't let the accepted reality of lies in the world today and since the history of, since the Garden of Eden, we can't let the reality of lie lying being a part of, of human activity, we can't let that reality convince us that it's okay. It mocks the character of God. Because let's go back to Genesis. I mean, why, why, why is it that God hates lying so much? I mean, Genesis 3, we've done this in each one of these. We've gone back to the beginning and we've realized that this has been a part of sin from the very beginning. And what was it the, the serpent that Satan did to, to Eve and to Adam? He, he told them a lie. He straight up lied to them and they believed it. And the lie was, you're not going to die if you eat of this fruit. You, you, won't, you won't surely die. And you're right. God's keeping something from us. He knows that we'll be like him if we take of this fruit. We won't, we're not going to die. That's an empty threat. So they believe the lie, and then they receive the heart of the liar. You see, last week we talked about who are you imaging? Are you imaging more the serpent or the savior? Because the, when, we image, uh, when we lie, we image the, ser- the serpent. We, 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 we enact and live out his heart, not the heart of God. Because who is he? Listen to this. I mean, this is, this is Jesus just bringing the heat here on who the devil is. And he's talking to the Pharisees, but we need to apply this all to the human heart because our hearts are just like the Pharisees. He says this, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth. Because there is no truth in him. Do you remember, you see this comparison now? Who is God? God cannot lie. Why? Because he is truth. Who is the devil? There is no truth in him. None. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. We're back at the character piece again. His character is a liar. God's character, truth. For he is a liar and the father of lies. This is why God hates lying so much. It's not just because it brings destruction to other people and and tears them down and ruins lives through things that we say, and that's the power of the tongue. It's because, again, it mocks the character of God and it lifts up the character of Satan. I'm telling y'all, when I was studying this, I was just cut to the core. It's someone who is given to exaggeration and embellishing and, and little things here and there that I think, well, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. It's not okay. When I'm doing that, I am actually glorifying the character of Satan, not my Savior. And that reality sits on us, and it should sit on us and weigh us and say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. But he, he's made it clear in his word that he's his disdain for lying, but the third point is 
he's most specifically uh, letting us know his disdain for lying about neighbor. Not just lying in general, but specifically to or about someone, which then digs in a little bit deeper. That's what this command is all about. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now the context in the original audience was primarily legally. That when you give witness, the only way that they could actually convict someone back then was there was no DNA, there was no, you know, samples of hair or blood samples or whatever, you know, there was none of that forensic science going on back then. So the primary way was, was a witness, the witness stand. Now we still use that today, but sometimes witnesses can be proven wrong through the science of it all. Back then it was, if you had two witnesses that said the same thing, then the person was guilty. And so he's saying, you can't bear false witness against your neighbor, but as we move our way through the scriptures, we understand that it's not just on the witness stand, it's not just in that legal matter, it's in any matter. So again, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, question 112. Last week we looked at the Heidelberg Catechism, it's so helpful, I think. I think it proves helpful again here. What is the aim of the ninth commandment? Written in the 16th century for us to help us understand these things. The answer, that I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. Those are the devices the devil uses, and they would call down on me God's intents wrath. I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. So we note here that the ninth commandment speaks specifically to four realities under the umbrella of lying. I'll hit these quickly. First, slander. What is slander? Slander is, uh, it's to make false and damaging statements about someone with the expressed intent to ruin their reputation. To make false and damaging statements about someone with the expressed intent to ruin their reputation. When you read through the New Testament epistles, the writings of Paul and Peter primarily, you'll see this show up a lot. Jesus speaks about it too. When they begin to list, what are the things that are true of those who are part of the sin nature and living out evil in the world? Slander is almost always listed. Secondly, gossip. I like the way Kevin DeYoung says this. He says, gossip is passing along a report or rumor that cannot be substantiated. But gossip is more than that. We also gossip when we pass along a true report unnecessarily. Okay, so sometimes you might be thinking, well, this is, not, this is not gossip because what I'm saying is true. I'm not lying. They did do this. They did say that. But the question for the believer is to ask, is it helpful? Is it my place to pass that information along, whether it be true or not? Because is it na- we're getting at character again. Is it aimed at tearing down the character of someone else? That can still be Gossip. John Calvin said this about gossip. He said, those who do not markedly, markedly suffer from this disease are rare indeed. We delight 
in a certain poison sweetness experienced in ferreting out and disclosing the evils of others. Proverbs talks about how gossiping, when we gossip, it's like a, it's like a morsel, a sweet morsel that just sinks down into our hearts and we delight in it. It's feeding that cancer of our sin nature. Blaise Pascal said this, he said, I'd lay it as a fact that if all men knew what others say of them, there would not be four friends in the world. Flattery. I'll quote Beg again here. He says this, if gossip is saying something behind a person's back that we would never say to his face, then flattery is saying to a person's face what we would never say behind their back. You go, man, well, flattery seems like I'm just being nice to somebody. If, you're, if in your heart of hearts, you know that what you are saying to that person, you don't believe it. You don't think it's true of them. And you know that if you're honest with yourself, you're only saying it to get in good graces with them so that you can manipulate the situation or control them or get from them what you ultimately want. That's flattery and that's lying. Oh, that was so great when you did this, this, or that. Oh, I'm so, I just love you. You're awesome, and you don't believe that. But there's something you want from them. They have something that you think you ought to have, or there's a situation that you think they can help you manipulate and control such to your advantage, so what do you do? We say things to them we would never say behind their back. That's, that's a part of this. And then exaggeration and embellishment. This is, this is the one that just seems so very minuscule. It's like, this doesn't hurt anybody. But again, what's it rooted in? Well, embellishment and exaggeration is rooted in insecurity and pride. Why would I embellish a story halfway through because it's not getting enough laughs? Well, because I'm insecure. And I need to make something up on the spot quickly that isn't true, but that's going to get more laughs. To do what? To feed my pride because it's ultimately, in my flesh, all about me. You begin to see how this is lived out in various ways that perhaps we don't often think about. So let me get to the good part. <laughs> What's our only hope? This is the fourth point that we'll walk away with. Our only hope in this arena, in every arena, our only hope is our union with Christ. Our only hope is our union of Christ. Christ, why? Because he is truth. He is, he is in his essence, who we are not in our essence, and we desperately need him to transform us, to transform us in our nature. Jesus said about himself, I am the way and the truth, meaning I don't just speak truth, although he does, but he is truth. He's the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. First John 5, 20, John, Jesus' best friend said this about him. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Did you catch it? We are in him. If your faith is in Jesus, if you believed upon Jesus, I say this every week, it always comes back to our union with him. We are in Christ, and who is Jesus? He is true. He is 
the true God and eternal life. And then we're taught, we know and understand that when we believe upon Jesus, we're united to Christ and we receive the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit who indwells us, the Spirit of Christ himself in us, empowering us. And who is the Spirit? John 16, 13, when the, tr- when the Spirit of truth comes, Holy Spirit, when he comes in and dwells us, he will guide you into all the truth. So when you think, man, there's just no way, I don't know how to go about life without lying. There's a little lie here and there. I just, there's just no way I can live this out. That's a lie. Because you can if you're in Christ. You and I can be people who are continuously truthful in our words and in our essence because Christ is in us and who is he? He is truth. So that, what do we begin to live out? Well, this is awesome. Remember what I said? The opposite of lying is not just to not lie, it's to be and speak truth. So listen, Paul kind of went on a bit of a truth tirade in Ephesians chapter four. Apparently the Ephesians were really struggling with this because he says this in Ephesians four, he says, rather, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That phrase, speaking the truth in love, is literally translated truthing. It's a verb that we don't say. We don't say I'm truthing you. We do say I'm lying to you, but we don't say I'm truthing to you. But this is what Paul's saying. He's, I think he has the ninth commandment in mind here. And he says, instead of lying to one another, be about truthing one another. He continues a few verses later, verse 25 says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. We're united, not just to Jesus. We're united to one another in Christ. So we speak the truth. And then he says again, just a few verses later, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Remember the power of the tongue, either to destroy or to build up, to bring death or to give life. Our hope is our union with Christ that is only made possible through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. The only way, the only way we become what God has called us to be is that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us. And he can resurrect and renew and transform lying hearts. I love this from Skip Ryan, pastor out in Texas. He says this, all the merit of Christ who perfectly kept the law, perfectly obeyed the truth is given to you. You give him all the filthy rags of your lies He who never lied hung on a cross as a liar. When God looks at you and me, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ's truth keeping. So who are we? Apart from Jesus, we're liars. Who are we in Christ? The righteousness of Christ and his truth keeping is over us as if it were ours. He sees Jesus, if your faith is in him. He doesn't see you, the liar. He sees Jesus, the truth. So we get to go to the cross together now. In confessing our sin to the Lord 
and asking him to do the work that only he can do in us. Let's read this confession of sin aloud together. Father, we confess that left unto ourselves, we are liars. We are guilty many times over of bearing false witness against our neighbor. We rejoice that we have been made new in Christ, but we lament that we still wrestle so readily with our old fleshly nature that continues to beckon us into deceitful ways. We admit that we easily give in to the impulse to lie without consideration of its detrimental impact on others and ourselves. We need you, O Lord. You are truth. Change us and make us more like you. Thank you that you bore on the cross the multitude of our filthy rags of lies. Thank you that you are a perfect truth-keeping righteousness. Glory to God. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.